God is good, and uh, I'm thankful for everything that's happened so far. I'm always um, so fiercely proud of all the young people who do different stuff in this church. Uh, it's the neatest thing to see teenagers running sound or playing percussion or whatever they may be doing, helping in kids' ministry, all that stuff, so amazing. Um, and then seeing it for all ages as well, you know. I was meeting with this guy this week. This is a freebie. I was meeting with this guy this week who um, said that he visited a church in Medford, um, the friend of mine pastors, and he said the first Sunday he showed up, the pastor was like, man, we've been praying that more older people will come here. And he goes, well, first of all, you might not want to call them older people if you want them to come back. And, uh, and so he did. He started calling them more seasoned veterans of life. And then more of them began to come on Sunday. So I'm glad you're here. If you're joining my live stream, my name's JD. Uh, if you're in the room, JD, I get to be the pastor of Christ Church Charlestown. It really is kind of a team effort that we're trying to live out here. Uh, I get to be the one that pastors, but so many of you are the, like, the ones who are like living on mission and trying to follow Jesus in Boston in 2021 in a winsome way. Uh, which can be a challenge, and so I'm so grateful for everyone being here. If you got a Bible, uh, turn to Matthew 6 today. If you don't, we're going to put the scriptures right up here, so it's all good. If you got an app and you do it by phone, that's fantastic too. I don't know how you were raised uh, with regards to faith and church and God. In my house, we grew up with two prayers. Uh, if you know them, you can quietly repeat them or repeat with me. The first one we said, whenever we ate. Uh, my mom, who's here today, she's visiting from Georgia this weekend uh, to get time with her grandkids and to come see the photo exhibit and worship with us today. She taught us this one. This is probably the one we prayed the most. We sat down at the table. We would say something like, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands, we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Amen. And if you dared eat food before that went down, like... Uh, she would probably pray food poisoning over us. Like, we just had to pray that every Sunday. There was another one we probably didn't pray as much, but I do remember some of my friends praying. If I would spend the night at people's house, they would do this one. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And this is where it gets morbid. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Like, that's pretty morbid, but I do remember praying that. Like, did any of you kind of grow up, some of you, with that prayer? Yep. But one that a lot of you grew up with that I didn't grow up with as much is the Lord's uh, Prayer, or as a lot of you have called it, like the Our Father Prayer. And if you grew up in church, you might have gotten like this drilled into you a little bit. And so if you know it, you can say it. Probably a lot of you have memorized it in the King James uh, version of the Bible. I'm going to put it up this morning as the in the ESV, the English Standard Version. That's the version we tend to use here. Both great translations, but if you were to see like a blue Bible out there, that's what we have. But here's that prayer. I want us to kind of read it together. You can read it out loud or just read it with me because it'll be the context of what we're talking about for the next few weeks. It's Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray, as we'll see in a moment. He said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some of you grew up with another line at the end of it that says, for thine is the power and the glory and the, the kingdom forever or something like that. I just butchered that. I've, it's been that long since I've read it that way. If you come around here in four weeks, we'll explain why some versions have that line and some don't. 
uh, it's a powerful line. I just literally grew up not necessarily memorizing that line of the prayer, and we'll talk about that later on. But um, this will be the crux of what we're going to be talking about for the next month. We're going to kind of methodically go through this prayer and the context of it and the implications of it and how it fits in with the rest of the Bible over the next month because I think um, the Bible and God's Word to us, Jesus' words, are insanely applicable we just don't always know like how to grab it where it is and then make it work in our everyday lives. And so we'll be talking about that. The other night uh, for the art exhibit, we have, you know, the rolling walls over here. And there was a, a lady who came in. She's lived in Charlestown all her life. Really nice lady. And we were talking and I think she was looking at one of the photos of St. Francis Church, which was her parish all of her life. And and uh, and she said she looked at me. She was talking about living in Charlestown, 2021. And she goes, you know, we all need more God in our life. And it was such a profound statement. Like I wasn't like I don't think she knew I was a pastor. I don't think she was like trying to do church speak in front of a pastor or anything like that. It was just kind of this like almost like, you know. We need more God in our life. We need more God in our city. We need more God in our homes. Uh, and, and I would agree with that. Like, how many of us kind of feel that? We long for God's justice to uh, come in our city and in our world, regardless of our age or our race or our gender or our sexuality or our faith. Like, don't we all collectively long for everyone to experience God's justice? The Lord's Prayer speaks to that. Uh, we long for God's provision of basic needs for all. I think nobody in this city would look and say, you know, I think it's fair that some people have so much and some people have so little. I think we all collectively would say we want everyone to have their basic needs met and be provided for. Jesus addresses that in the prayer. I think we all long for soul peace for forgiveness and to be a forgiving people. My forgiveness and unforgiveness uh, meter rises and falls at the Rotary at Sullivan Square. Like, I mean, I can be like, God forgives, JD don't, when I try to get into that Rotary and out of it. Like, it can be dicey situation. The Lord's Prayer deals with that. And then we long to know um, that God has our backs and will rescue us in any situation. Like, regardless of how much we may or may not have been raised to believe in God, don't we want to believe that there is a God of the universe who is holding this thing together, who has our back? And the Lord's Prayer addresses that. And so, from now till Thanksgiving, we're going to go kind of phrase by phrase through this passage of Scripture. We're actually going to start today in verse 5. We'll put the verses up. I'm going to read it so you get kind of the context of what Jesus is talking about, who he's talking with. This is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is about halfway into his Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of his quintessential teaching where he talks about what it will look like to live as a Christ follower in the world for everybody who was among him and even people today. And so he's talking about prayer. He's really kind of like taking it to his critics here a little bit and to kind of the false religious culture that was surrounding him. And so in Matthew 6, verse 5, Jesus says this. He says, now when you pray, you mustn't be like the hypocrites. Now Jesus was the first person ever in recorded history and written history when he talked about hypocrites to like, the word just means actors. 
He was the first one to sort of build this bridge that says, don't be like the actors, but talking about in a religious sense. He says, don't be like the spiritual actors, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so Jesus here just says, look, no performing when you pray. Has anybody ever heard a performance prayer? Like somebody whose voice is just a little too loud for the context of them talking to God? Uh, I've seen that. And it's, all, like, it's, it's funny. It's tough. And Jesus here says, look, when you pray, it's not a performance. You don't have to talk real loud and act crazy. In fact, he says, and it's great when people, like I love when people in our church come and pray. It's the most meaningful thing. I love The reason that we have folks pray is we know that they're not performing. If it ever were somebody who's going to take the mic and be like, look, I got this. And then they get to the end and they go, in Jesus' name, amen. We have a problem. Like we don't, we're not looking for that because Jesus critiqued that and he was not about that. So he says, don't be like the hypocrites. No performing when you pray. In verse seven, he goes on. He says, and when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do or as the nations do, the people who don't believe do. He says, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so Jesus says, look, no performance in prayer. And then he says, no mindless repetition when you pray. I don't know. uh, My most repetitive prayers were on test days. Like I would have a test I had not studied for. Have any of you ever done this? And you're like, Jesus, help me not fail. Jesus, just to see. Lord, if you could bless me with a B. God, if you would do a miracle and give me an A. And I would just pray the same thing over and over. Jesus says, you don't have to pray it like God's ears, his hearing's not, he's not hard of hearing. Like you say it one time, you're talking to him. He's good. He hears it. I would also do that if I were asking a girl out, just say it over and over. Like if I I thought if I said it a hundred times, God might be more inclined to say, yes, Jesus says, look, you don't have to repeat it. When you talk to God, just talk to God. My kids will say, mom, I'm hungry. Mom, I'm hungry. Mom, can you fix me something? I mean, like they're gaming in the bedroom and they will cut. Like we know when we hear them come down the steps in the evening, it is only because they are hungry. She loves them. We ignore them sometimes because that's why you have kids to ignore them and torture them. We ignore them, but we heard them the first time. And Jesus says, when you talk to the father and you're telling him a need, you don't have to go on and on and on and on and on can say it once and he knows you don't have to be repetitive and just saying stuff over and over. The point of prayer isn't informing God, but aligning us with God. That's why we pray. It's not to inform God. He knows our needs before you even ask him. It's sort of fencing us in. And so whether it's the Lord's prayer or any prayer, we don't have to vainly repeat it. It's not punishment. How many of you, by slight show of hands, you just do it like this? How many of you were made to pray the Lord's Prayer as a form of punishment? Like, again, you held your hand higher than I told you to. Uh, A few of you had to pray this, like, now you go say five of those, and it'll be cool, like with God and mom and dad. Like, some of us were raised to have to pray this over and over as a form of punishment. It's not that. The Lord's Prayer can be quoted. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. You're going to hear him in a moment. He says, when you pray, pray like this. You can quote it. Or you can sort of reframe it, contextualize it for your need, uh, pattern your prayer after it. But it ought to be sincere. It ought to be sincere. 
And that's what Jesus is calling us to. It's not like the prayer we used to pray when I was a kid, when, like when I was a teenager. We would say, good Lord, good meat. No, uh, good, what was it? Good friends, good meat, good Lord, let's eat. Like, I don't think God necessarily loves that prayer. It was like, let's just get this thing over and let's get digging in. Like, I don't think God loves that. And so uh, here we go. We're going to read the Lord's Prayer together, and we're going to go through it one line at a time. Today, we're just going to do the first line. We're going to do where Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I'm just going to talk through this verse today, and then we will actually be eating lunch here together in just a little bit. The first thing Jesus says is our now, we live in the most individualistic nation, literally, in the history of humanity. And in New England, it's hard to appreciate that because people from here tend to be more uh, group thinkers, corporate thinkers. Like, people are more mindful of their neighbors and their elderly here than they are in a lot of other places in America. But on the whole, America is still the most individualistic nation of all time and all places. And Jesus says, when you pray to, when you pray to God, pray like this. The first thing he says is you pray our. And it's a reminder that God is a God who wants to be addressed corporately. God is corporate. He's our Father. One thing I say a lot, like I beat the drum on, is there are no lone rangers. You can't be a hermit. You, you definitely, if you're going to follow Jesus, aren't allowed the opportunity to say, oh, this is just my thing. I don't need anybody. I'm going to do this solo. Faith, following God, is a team sport. It's a team sport. There's no lone ranger. Spiritually, lone rangers get picked off first. And so we have small groups here that meet during the week. There's one on Mondays and one on Thursdays, and we can create more as we need to. And the tagline on our small groups is because faith is personal, but it's not private. Our faith is to be personal, but not private. Okay, and so uh, I don't have people say to me, J.D., I can love God at home. I can love God on the golf course. I can love God at the beach. You certainly can. But when Jesus was teaching us to pray, the first thing he started with was our, that this is supposed to be a team effort. My boys would say to that, that's cap. You can't do that. Like, do any of you say that or is that uncool already? It's definitely uncool when I say it. Like, yeah, yeah. They say, that's cap. Dad, you can't, like, they, you cannot follow God solo. You can't do it. It's not a solo effort. Jesus teaching us to pray says, our Father. So we pray as part of a local church, like we pray as together, as Juliana was saying. And then we pray as the capital C church. I am aligned. You are aligned if you follow Jesus. When you pray, you are praying to the same God that people in Afghanistan and people in Africa and people in Asia and people in all ages and all places in South America and Central America and Northern Europe. We are praying to the God who hears the prayers. We are all one family with people who follow Jesus across the globe, across the ages, uh, speaking in different languages, different times, all of it. We have the same dad. And we live in a world right now, in a culture right now, where we are taught to hate 50% of the people, no matter what they stand for. Oh, you like Starbucks? I hate Dunkin'. I, I like Dunkin'. I hate you. Die. Oh, you voted for a Democrat? Oh, I voted Republican. I hate you. I hope you die. Oh, you like, the, oh, you, you like Tom Brady since he went to Tampa Bay? Oh, I, no way. Die. You die, Tom Brady, tearing ACL, die, all of you die. Like, that's the culture we live in right now. We're taught to hate 50% of the people no matter what. And as God's people, one of the best things we can do is love one another fiercely. Look around the room. 
Like, there are people sitting in this room who don't look like you and don't think like you and weren't born in the same decade as you or the same place on the map. And we're family together. If we're going to follow God, we're going to follow him together. And we're going to pray, our Father. The next thing Jesus says is Father. Father, God is personal. So the first thing we hear in our is that God is corporate. The second thing we hear is that God is personal. He's our Father. When Jesus prayed this, he literally is using this word, Abba, Abba, or Pater in, in Aramaic, like in, in, um, in Greek. It's Daddy. It's Appa if you're from Korea, or it's Papa if you're from Northern Europe, or it's Papi if you're from a country where Spanish is the primary language. It's a term of endearment. And Jesus says, you don't have to come to God with most high and holy God of the universe. Please don't strike me dead. And your best King James Shakespeare in English, you can come. How we address God reveals how we relate to God. And Jesus gives us permission to come and say, God, you're like my dad. You're our dad coming to you. Now, let me say really quickly that when Jesus says our father, this is not a statement about gender. God's not a man. And so stuff like this has been used over the centuries to oppress and marginalize women. Let me tell you, as a matter of fact, God has attributes men and women image uniquely. There are passages in scripture where God sounds a lot like my mom, who is the greatest mom of all time. And there are passages in scripture where God sounds like a really, really great dad. And when we reflect those things, when we're great moms or great dads or great friends, we're reflecting something of who God is. The point is not saying our father, God's a man. The point is saying our Abba, God is approachable. He's like the best dad ever. Um, He's like the most loving parent. We have single moms in here. I will not, I would never mess with their kid because they would cut me. Like they would slice me up in a second defending their children. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying God's personal and he's like a mama bear or a papa bear and he's watching out for his own. We celebrate that. We reflect something of who God is. He's the most loving parent. I'll tell you this, the first time God ever refers to himself as a parent, he's not just talking about being personal. That's important. He's not just talking about being a father. It's actually in Exodus 4, 22 and 23. I'm going to flip there, and I think we're going to put these verses up on the wall. I want to read you. This is the first time God ever refers to himself like a father. It says in Exodus 4, 22 and 23, after God's people have been enslaved to Egypt for 400 years, God says this. He says, then you shall go, he's talking to Moses, to Pharaoh and say, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. First time God ever referred to humans like his children. And he says, I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. It's a threat to the Pharaoh. I love it. God watching out for his kids. When we pray our father, we are declaring we are free. We're not just saying our God is dad. We're declaring that God's our dad and now we're free. How many of you, don't show hands, were raised to believe that church or faith was actually the complete opposite of freedom? A lot of us were raised to think that church and faith were a straitjacket that kept us from having fun or doing anything fun. or be, We just had to wear this thing and could never get out of it. When God refers to himself as father, he's saying we are free. Pharaoh's not our king. We're not slaves. 
Rome is not our king. The Caesar is not our king. Uncle Sam is not our king. The IRS is not our king. My boss is not my king. My family tree is not my king. My past addictions and failures are not my king. When we say our father, what we're saying is God is my father, and I am not enslaved to anyone or anything else, no matter my situation, my circumstance, or my current climate. The last thing that Jesus is implying when he says our father, and I love this so much, is that we were brought from slavery into family, but brought into mission. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, God invited you into his mission in the world as Juliana prayed a moment ago. Let me open my iPad. Let me read quote to you. I love this quote, but I came across the other day. My granddad, by the way, when I was a kid, I remember my granddad, I was probably about your age, darling. Uh, pulling me into the living rooms, just he and I, and he did it with my brother separately, and he says, listen here, I've spent a lifetime building our family name. You better not go screw it up in five minutes with a dumb decision. I never forgot that. I never forgot that. My granddad was probably at that point in his 70s, and he told us that he had, he had lived a life living a mission in Macon, Georgia, and he wanted us as his grandsons to carry on that legacy. And when Jesus says, our father, yes, he's saying we're family. Yes, he's saying he's delivered us from slavery. But he's also saying, I'm inviting you into what I'm doing in the world. One of my favorite writers, a guy named N.T. Wright, says this, the one thing you can be sure of with God is you can't predict what he's going to do next. Has God ever zigged when you thought he was going to zag? That's what Tom Wright's talking about here. He says, that's why God called, why God Father is, why calling God Father is the great act of faith, holy boldness and risk. Saying our Father isn't just boldness, the sheer cheek of walking into the presence of the living almighty God and saying, hi, Dad. It's the boldness, the sheer total risk of saying quietly, please may I too be considered an apprentice, daughter, or son. It means signing on for the kingdom of God. If we take the risk of calling him Father, then we're called to be the people through whom the pain of the world is held in the healing light of the love of God. For me, I don't know what it's like for you. For me, church is not something I go to. I try to rarely say I go to church. Church is something I am part of as we look to bring love and light and purpose and goodness and change in the world in the name of Jesus. And when Jesus gives us permission to say to God, our Father, what we're implying when we pray it is that we are joining God in his mission in the world, like my granddad spoke to us uh, years ago. The next thing Jesus says, so he goes, our Father in heaven, in heaven. The idea there is the first is that it's corporate. The second is that it's personal. The third idea here is it's powerful that God is powerful. When we pray, uh, our Father, we're saying that God is transcendent. He's out, he's sort of out there, out past us. So he is our Father, and yet he is other, and he is different and separate from and independent of nature and humanity. Will you throw out the Isaiah 55 verse for me? Hope Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this, for my, this is God speaking, Uh, to Isaiah, who was a prophet hundreds of years before Jesus was born. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your ways higher, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. There's times that God does stuff in my life that I'm like, what were you doing? Has God ever done anything in your life? You were like, didn't see that coming and kind of mad at you right now. 
didn't see that coming. That was better than I would have written that. The God of the universe does things differently than we do, and he doesn't have to ask our permission because he is our father. He loves us. He has our best, but he is in heaven, and his vantage point is a lot better than ours. Psalm 113, 5 and 6 says this. Hope, if you wouldn't mind to throw it up, so I don't have to flip to it. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? I love that image of God looking down on the earth. I love corn mazes. Anybody like going to corn mazes? I don't ever want to be that person who gets lost in the corn maze, Uh, but I'm thankful that at a corn maze, there's always a spotter who can climb up onto a thing and see me lost in the corn maze, should that ever happen, right? And uh, that's God. Because God is in heaven, his perspective is better, and he can look down and see it. And that reminds us in 2020 that we're not the height of the universe. You ever had a basketball game where you owned your opponent? Anybody? Steven, kind of raising his hand. I saw it. He's like, yep. Listen, at those moments, at whatever your parallel is, we're not the height of the universe. Saying our Father in heaven reminds us that there's someone bigger than us. And it humbles us a little bit. If you've ever been over to Harvard uh, at Emerson Hall, Ed and I walked by this the other day. We had lunch over at Harvard Square. And as we were walking by, we walked by Emerson Hall. It's the philosophy department. I put a picture up here. You probably won't be able to read it. At Emerson Hall, it was built uh, right at the turn of the 20th century. And on the top of it, it was supposed to say, man is the measure of all things. That was what it was going to say. And uh, at some point between the architecture of the building and the actual creation of the building, there was a war and a lot of people died. And the president of Harvard said, nope, we're not putting that on there. And when the building uh, was etched at the beginning of the 1900s, it actually was made to say what says in Psalm 8:4, what is man that you are mindful of him? If you ever go by Emerson Hall at Harvard, understand it was supposed to say man is the measure of all things. And yet today, even still 100 years later, it says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? It's that reminder that God is in heaven and man is not the highest thing in the universe. And then finally, Jesus says, hallowed be your name. In other words, like holy holy be your name, God. God is set apart. God is set apart. Yes, God is sinless, and we are not, but also he, again, is other. So this, um, this is not, by the way, like, uh, like I was taught that most definitely, like, there were, some, there were like some first-level swear words, and there were like next-level swear words. Any of you raised in this sort of idea? Like, I, I'm not going to repeat the ones that were lower level. I'm not going to repeat the ones that were upper level, but the ones that were upper level had like, Uh, a word that rhymes with duck in them. And then most of the rest of them were like the Lord's name. Like, you know, you'd hear, like, I can say Jesus Christ like this, but if I say it like this, like, that's bad. You don't do that. Like, uh, then there's that one that's GD that like, man, like I was raised to believe that like a fiery cloud would come down from heaven and hit me if I ever said that to somebody, whatever. Like when Jesus says, hallowed be your name, Yes, he's talking about we shouldn't take God's name in vain. Like, he is talking about that, and we all do that on some level. But even more, what he's saying is, God, would your name be revered? Would your name be revered? Like, who's the person in your life that if somebody talked bad about them, it would be fighting words? Hey, thank you, Brad. Um, 
Like if somebody ever talked about my mom, man, you better, you better look out. Like, I mean, look out. I'm coming for you. If you ever talk about my wife, like I will put you down. Like coming after you. Don't mess with my wife. Don't mess with my kids. When Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, what he's saying is, God, may I live in such a way that your name is revered and you are made much of. And may I revere your character, your authority, your person, and your power. Uh, God meets us in our weakness with his power. He met us in our selfishness and apathy with his love. He met our foolishness with his wisdom. He met our imperfection and sinfulness with his perfection and holiness. And we see this best at the cross. And so when Jesus says, our Father in heaven, holy is your name, what he's not saying is, God, from heaven, why don't you just make your name holy? That's not what's happening here. What Jesus is actually saying is, God in heaven, while you watch over us as a good dad, but a heavenly father, I pray that we would be living in such a way that we keep your name holy. See, there's a difference. There's a difference. Jesus isn't saying, God, from heaven, just magically make us keep your name holy. Jesus is saying, God, help us from heaven on some level. What, what, when you watch us, because we love you and because you're good and you've done so much for us, when we look at you, when you look at us, We want you to see us keeping your name holy, making much of you, making a big deal out of you. And again, we see that the best at the cross. We see every bit of this line at the cross. At the cross, we see that God is for us. Jesus didn't just die for Christians. Jesus didn't die for Catholic people, Protestant people. Jesus died for every single person who has ever been lived, regardless of their race, their language, their sexual orientation, their age. Jesus died for every human being who's ever lived. And so there's nothing truer than our. At the cross, we see that Jesus, that God is our Father. And God loved humans so much that he sent his son to die so that he can have relationship and we can call him Father. We see that he's in heaven, that God is so holy and we are so broken that he had to come up with a plan because we could never work his way to us. Howard, uh, right here, sitting right here on the basketball row, I think he's aspiring to something, would tell you, he would say, a year and a half ago, J.D., I knew that I would commit sins, but I didn't understand that I was a sinner. But that's why Jesus, God from heaven, sends his son to die on the cross because sin isn't just what we do, it's who we are. And the only way to bridge the gap was for Christ to come. And so in his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead, he shows that he is holy. So next week, we're going to talk about the next idea. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. We're going to talk about justice. But here's three questions I want to ask you and we'll pray. Number one, when you pray, however you pray, do you mean it? That's just the first question. When you pray, do you mean it? And is that prayer corporate, personal, and powerful? Like when you pray, do you mean it? Or is it just a hoop you jump through at a meal, bedtime, when you're in trouble, whatever? Number two, second question I would encourage you to ask yourself. In making God holy, ask yourself this. Do I need to make God more corporate? Do I need to think of myself as part of what God's doing in the world? Or do I need to make God more personal? I need to treat him less like he's God out there and more like he's very present in my life. Or do I need to make God more powerful? Do I need to actually be more reverent and not like treat him like, you know, the big guy upstairs or whatever? Like, do I need him to be more corporate, personal, 
or powerful? And third question I would challenge you to ask yourself, and I love this question. What would our Heavenly Father reasonably ask and expect you to do next? What would God reasonably, if God looked at Lana today and said, Lana, in light of this, this is, I think it's reasonable that you would respond this way. Rob, in light of this, I think it's reasonable that you would respond this way. What would God logically, reasonably ask us and each of us to do in light of that line? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let me pray for us, and then we will eat lunch. God, thank you for... The Lord's Prayer doesn't hem us in, but it does give us nice boundaries to know how to pray. For a lot of us, it's become something that we've done so many times that we probably don't even think about it. God, help us think about it. Lord, I pray that when we pray, when we look about that, when we debrief this day mentally, that we would think about Christ on the cross, the perfect embodiment of the moment where God, your corporate nature, your fatherly nature, and your heavenly nature kind of coalesce so that we can have relationship with you. So God, I pray for anybody in the room who says, you know what, I believe in God. I don't have relationship with him. I don't think of him like he's a good heavenly father. Lord, I pray that if somebody would be so bold, maybe today for the first time in their life, they would say, God, I believe in you. And I've always believed you were out there and I want you to come into my life. I want you to come be part of my life turning from self-rule and turning to you in faith. Lord, I thank you that as a good dad, you don't need us to pray perfect prayers. That confession alone of turning and believing is enough, the Bible would say, so that we can have relationship with you. Jesus did the heavy lifting. God, for others of us in here, maybe we've, maybe we're new believers. We've followed you for like less than a year, less than five years. Some have followed you a really long time, God. I pray that we would ask ourselves, how do we need to relate to you? And over the next month, God, I pray that we would respond, that like following you wouldn't just be something we talk about or we assume, but that people would see it in our life and it would affect everything, how we do justice, how we let go of resentment towards others or to ourselves, um, how we lean into you for meeting our needs, all those things, God. I pray that we would grow together. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.